Welcome to Australian Design Radio, a podcast that seeks to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. As part of that, we acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their enduring connections to country, knowledge and stories. We pay respects to the elders past, present and emerging. I'm Matt Leach and I'm your host and on this episode I'm joined by my co-host and friend, Flynn Tracy, event and content producer at Adobe and founder of this here podcast. Before I introduce the guests for this episode, I need to thank Streamtime for their constant support. If you're a user of their fine software, you'll be aware they've just revolutionized their schedule function. They have new custom views, tentative bookings, and new view options like jobs by people or people by jobs, so you can be really confident about who is doing what and where. The whole shakeup came from user feedback, and this is one of the things I personally love about Streamtime. They really listen, and they want to make the best product for their users. If you haven't tried them before, go to streamtime.net slash ADR2020 and you can get 20% off. Or just try a free demo and see if it works for you. Now for this episode's guest, James Juru, Creative Director at Design Studio, a branding and digital agency originally from London but now all over the world, with James running the Sydney studio. You'll know their work when you think about some of their clients like Airbnb, Deliveroo, English Premier League and British Airways, just to name a few. We've actually had the founders Paul Stafford and Ben Wright on previously way back in episode 66. This episode we focused on James, how he and Design Studio ended up in Australia, his thoughts on leadership in design, what he thinks about the Australian design scene and why he's passionate about teaching the next generation of designers. It's a really awesome chat and some of James' sound bites near the end, well, they just left me and Flynn absolutely speechless. Now, if you're an avid listener of ADR, you may notice that Flynn hasn't been joining me on these intros lately. Flynn is still involved, don't worry, he's just taking a slightly different role going forward. And actually, ADR as a whole is going to change somewhat. From episode 129, we're going to be increasing our host lineup to incorporate a more diverse group, focusing less on biographical stories of designers and looking more at specific issues within the Australian design industry through the eyes of our guests. Of course, there's going to be a little biographical stuff in there, I love that stuff, and I don't want to lose it completely. But next episode, I'll let you know a little bit more about the changes and how you might get involved if you're so inclined. Enough of that for now. Let's jump into the episode with James. We'll begin with Flynn setting up the context by remembering the first interview we did with Design Studio and how this episode came about. We do have a bit of history. So it was episode 66 that we uh, interviewed Ben and Paul. Okay, wow. We are up to episode 127. So we did that nearly halfway, which is pretty cool. <laughs> ben and Paul, uh, the founders of Design Studio, they were they were here in Sydney. I couldn't remember why they were here. You're going to have to jog my memory, James. But we had the lucky opportunity to interview them with you, and it was around the time that they announced you as creative director. In I think it was that week. Like we were chatting exactly about that. Like it was fresh, hot off the press. Mm. Um, I believe it was just you. And again, you can correct me with that. In Sydney, I think we we're in a co-sharing studio and. It was the very, yeah, the very beginning of your journey to where you are here. And we've been chatting an email a little bit about, hey, we should chat about like, you know, what were the expectations back then and, you know, what, yeah. what happened? Because a lot, a lot has happened. If we could go back three years to 2017, <laughs> I think all of us, um, it would be very interesting to give a couple of tips to our past selves. Yeah, I had to do some quick maths then. I suppose it's 61 episodes. Yes. If anything, you guys have been incredibly busy. <laughs> so that's super impressive. I mean, three years ago, Ben and Paul were here. We had just announced that we were opening a Sydney office. I was kind of rejoining the team to head that up. You're totally right. We were in a WeWork over in Piermont. It was essentially myself. Ben and Paul had flown over from London to 
spend a bit of time in Sydney with myself, but then we kind of did a bit of a, a tour around Australia, hitting up kind of Melbourne, Adelaide, Brisbane. So was that for them to get an idea about Australia or I guess for you as well to get an idea? I think it was a little bit mm. of both. I'd been in this, I'd sort of lived in Australia for about a year up to that point. We'd met, the guys were over here about six months prior to that. They were speaking at semi-permanent and we got the chance to catch up, which was really lovely. I hadn't seen them since I'd left London and, you know, we started hanging out and having a few beers and, and, and catching up on what was going on in London, what was going on in the business, what was going on with me. And the, the conversation just naturally started to evolve around, you know, did I think in my kind of quite short limited experience that there was space for a, a design studio type business here? I mean, I'm not going to lie. I knew what was being asked <laughs> without being asked, did my best to kind of nudge that conversation along. And, you know, I could see the opportunity there and, it, it just kind of naturally evolved from there. And, and that was probably between what would have been kind of mid 2017 and then February 6th, I think it was 2018 is when we opened mm. up. And How did you end up in Australia in the first place? That's a really good question. I lived in the UK all my life, worked in London for the sort of last five years of my time there. And during that period, I was, I was really fortunate. I got to travel a lot with work and got exposed to lots of different cultures and communities and, and places and there's sort of growing itch to go and work somewhere else in the world just wouldn't go away when you start to look at it from a really practical point of view as a british citizen the options to work somewhere where kind of you know you can slip in from a kind of language point of view you know when you think about being able to do what you do and, and kind of do it in a different place. People work in design and branding that kind of cuts a few places out. Uh, when you think about places you want to go that maybe you've never been before, that starts to narrow it down again. And so basically cut a long story short, you end up with Canada, Australia. <laughs> I was expecting New Zealand or Australia. I thought, I thought that's where you're going to go. Yeah. I think New Zealand's probably in there as well. I think it was kind of a toss up between those two. And I had never been to either country. Um, and I just fancied going somewhere further than Canada. Uh, so we ended up in Australia at that point and thought I'd be here for a year. It's now kind of four years down the track. Uh, we've got sort of one eye on being able to get citizenship and That's kind of great. build a life here. And it's, it's, you know, Australia's, Australia's been very kind to me and I, I kind of want to repay that in whatever way I can through what I do. I'm shocked. Nine times out of 10, someone's made a sea change because of, of romance. I know. It's always I a girl or a boy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you are married now. Congratulations, by the way. I am married, yeah. So, I, I mean, I should mention that I met my lovely wife here. So, you know, it's uh, yeah, it is, yeah. not only have I had fun fun doing lovely design, I've met my life partner. and that's, <laughs> that's been like a huge part of staying here and building a life here. It was funny going back through the old episode as well, because, I mean, a lot of that episode was about, I guess, that kind of idea of you guys feeling like you were quite a new studio and mm. therefore maybe maybe not getting, you know, the, the really big brands because they were they wanted to go with a more established studio or something. You know, there was a risk kind of element there. Mm. But then some of the kind of brands, like the, particularly ones that were sort of starting up themselves, were willing to take that kind of risk. Have you felt like that's changed in some way? Like that, you, you know, we're now um, quite a few years later. And... It's really interesting to dig into because time within the business is not equal. 
sounds really stupid but you know london is is 12 years old mm. we're three years old our mm. studios in the states are kind of a few years old as well so uh, reputation experience perception of those studios does kind of slip and shift and i think you know at a global level we're now 12 years old we've you know worked with some of the biggest businesses in the world from the like you say the kind of really exciting dynamic startups and mm. you know some of those go on to be kind of world-changing businesses like the airbnbs and the deliveroos some mm. of them don't mm. some of them just kind of continue to be you know scale-ups that are really interesting but maybe don't hit that sort of global level i think perception has changed to a certain extent it's always a challenge though you know kind of winning new business convincing hearts and minds you know getting projects over the line is is, is always a, a really interesting challenge but i think that attitude of a slight underdogginess mm -hmm. still prevails and i think it's still really healthy because complacency kills great creativity it kills interesting brave thoughts and for us to be able to sometimes you know use that kind of idea of like the underdog the anti the you know where the other as like a driving motivation is is quite powerful you mentioned something just before like talking about like when they approached you and you mm. around australia and you you talked about like to see whether this type of business could work in australia what, mm. what do you what do you mean by that like the, this type of business i suppose my view of this has probably developed a lot more over the past few years of, of kind of running the studio and running the business but australia is a fascinating country it's ginormous, but our population is really small. The kind of forces in the creative market index towards advertising quite heavily in a lot of places, I feel. And that mm. that then changes the kind of brand agencies which you often see at, at like really big scale. So, you know, it's often businesses which are part of a larger group. Mm. Yeah. And you naturally start to see that line of, of connection between the parent company has won the advertising work and the brand agency gets the brand job. And, yeah. you know, the, the money flows from top to bottom and, and it's all really well connected. And, you know, I look at guys like Vince Frost and Fabio Ongarato and, uh, you know, and even like Hans Holzbosch and, and those guys and how they built agencies of size mm. that are independent. And I think that's really interesting because the prevailing kind of wins of the market are sort of consolidation, advertising, mm, yeah. brand design in, in, in kind of business of scale. And so that was, you know, that was a real consideration is like those businesses are built upon really well-established, long-lasting relationships with corporate Australia, you know, airlines, mm, banks, mm. telcos, that, that kind of stuff. And that's fine in a really big market but when the market is you know is relatively finite you know there's a couple of banks a couple mm. of telcos a couple of airlines the danger is we're all kind of chasing the same client and so i think one of the things which has been really interesting for us over the past three years is you know we certainly came to australia thinking we're going to predominantly work in and around australia new zealand and what's happened is we majority work in asia pacific and southeast asia with kind of probably about 20% within ANZ. And I think it, it, it's a couple of things. 
we're really fortunate and we have a reputation which stretches up into that region. And so yeah. we're, we're kind of known in that sense. Um, and I think back to your, back to your earlier question, Matt, of, you know, those really kind of brave and bold businesses, the businesses that we tend to find ourselves partnering with here are often startups five, six years into their journey, starting to hit scale, um, mm. starting to maybe run into kind of real challenges with, with brand as they expand into new markets or diversify product or stretch the meaning of who they once were and who they now are. Um, and, and they come to us to solve some of those problems strategically, visually, verbally, experientially. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I think we came here with a, a view on who we would be and who we would be working with and it's actually very different to that. I just want to jump on the kind of APAC areas. Like, what can you tell us about what areas you're kind of working with? If I think around the studio at the moment, China, Hong Kong, Singapore, just finished up a piece of work mm. in the Philippines, finished up a piece of work in South Korea, a couple of pieces of work in Thailand. Wow, so, um, so really all over. So kind of a real, a real, a real spread. Yeah, yeah, really all over the region from, from kind of mainland China through to the more... I suppose, SEA, APAC countries mm. that we might think of, of like Thailand, Vietnam, Vietnam, Singapore as well. And it's fascinating. It's, it's one of the things mm. that I love the most. You know, I get to figure out cultural kind of challenges when working with these clients. We get to figure out how brand shows up in markets where there are literal societal kind of challenges or problems that, that present when you think about a, a digital experience. For example, we... We just finished a piece of work with a, a beauty and wellness e-com platform in the Philippines called Beauty M&L. And there was kind of this whole journey for us to really understand what beauty and femininity and uh, self-care and self-love meant mm. in, in that culture and that society. Yeah. Right through to when we delivered the digital product, we had to come up with solutions which creatively masked poor loading times yeah because the yeah. internet speeds are slow and so it's like right. it there's always really. these like really interesting challenges and opportunities that present in working in really different markets that you just don't think of when you kind of work in one place yeah. and i guess i guess opening you up to those i guess those problems those other problems to solve kind of improves you in other areas mm. you know the learnings that you take in in one place and one project end up being kind of applied somewhere else. You know, mm. we worked in, um, finished a, a project up in, in South Korea, which, you know, I was really lucky. We got to go to Seoul. It's an incredible place. It's kind of like the Switzerland of, of Asia in a way. It's this sort of design hub. It's really, mm. the architecture is stunning. It's got this amazing vibe and energy to it. Um, but what I'd never thought of is that, it's an incredibly hierarchical society. Mm. So, you know, we're used to working with kind of CEOs, CMOs, leaders of business who are grappling with really prickly problems and want to understand how brand and strategy can, can kind of leverage um, the outcome that they are looking for. And in spending time working in South Korea, you, you find yourself, you know, our only kind of interface with the business would be the junior project manager. And then that would sort of, go in into the business up the oh, wow. business down the business and then back out to us <laughs> and, come back to and we, you, right, you know wow. be like a game of telephone like whatever you get back you're like we well, you didn't 
We didn't say that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's not what I said. Yeah, and so it it presents the whole set of problems of like, okay, we need to structure our presentations so they can literally be given mm. by someone else to someone else in another language. Mm. We did some of the, some of the weirdest things I've ever done actually, where it was a presentation to the board of the, of the company, and I it was like this, but I had to video record myself giving the presentation so that it could be then sent over as a video file and just sort of mm. played in a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Which could have just called me up. I would have got on the, got on the Zoom yeah. and just done the presentation <laughs> live. Yeah, but not giving you a chance to kind of like, you, there's no questions you're getting then from the board or anything. You yeah, have to but, think about everything. But I get it. It's, you know, it's, it's the cult. It's like not even mm. the organizational culture, it's the mm. societal culture of like, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm a supplier. I'm, I'm external to the business. I'm not even, you know, kind of, from the from the country, I don't really have a role or a, a, a right, for want of a better word, to mm. speak to the CEO. Uh, and so it's mm. like navigating those challenges in lots of different cultures, in lots of different countries, in lots of different kinds of businesses is mm. fascinating. You know, different people, different culture, different different like hierarchy in, in Korea. I used to live in South Korea, um, and that makes so much sense to me and but mm. never in a business sense so that's like at, at the dinner table like the oldest person is in charge of everything of what you eat who drinks when how long you're going to stay when you can leave all that sort of stuff and it's and it's interesting no to way. hear you say that you know all these years later because that was a very long time ago that that comes through in business and design and you have to like mm. that is such an interesting problem to have to create communication that that person is going to understand and then take up there and then come back without losing the flavor and you know everything you've worked so hard on the team's worked on fascinating it is i mean i won't i won't pretend it doesn't create challenges yeah. it, it really does like you know we work best when we can work with our clients who are making the decisions and of whom we can ask you know really pointed business questions of you know why is this the direction that you want to go why is this the challenge that you think you need to navigate and, and, and build a solution around and as soon as you kind of become removed from that it's it's really tricky and i think it actually interestingly it really draws a parallel with i think one of the reasons which is why ben and paul started the agency in the first place which was they spent a long time working in, in agencies in london and one of the things that really frustrated them was creatives being kept mm. out of the room from conversations with business leaders and decision makers and you know layers of project management and, and kind of layers of account management and like you said it's, it's this sort of whisper which changes and morphs and and you know mm -hmm. the answer that is is spoken at one end isn't the thing that's heard at the other and so you know that's always been something which we really kind of believe and, and practice and pushes you know everyone from the intern through to myself is in with clients, whether it's the CEO or the brand manager or whoever it is, they are part of that conversation because that experience mm. grows them mm. and leads to better solutions. How do you keep that going? Because I guess we're really interested in that kind of relationship to London as well. We mm. talked about culture and you know everything we were just talking about there. Like how do, how do you manage that and what, what is that relationship like? So I think that there's kind of a couple of parts to that. There's the connection to London. You know, I'm, I'm really fortunate. I spent four and a half, five years working in the London studio. So I, in a sense, I, I kind of 
know it a bit. It's kind of there's learnt rhythms for me, and you know, I'm I'm almost like the the starter dough that has been put in, put into another loaf. But and I think this is one of the really interesting things that I've really enjoyed over the past few years is kind of really considering what we bring forward as design studio culture and and practice and process and what we change and develop and flex and allow to become mm. design studio sydney and yeah. what that is and how the team out there how they kind of build that and shape it and, and mold it so that you know in five years if we open an office in korea and someone from here wants to go and lead that they've got a bit of that kind of like essence and they take it somewhere else and it's it mm. kind of evolves and moves forward every time and i think that is actually it's really lovely because i think it really empowers people to kind of own it and build it and shape it themselves and i think it hopefully stops us becoming that really sort of rigid and formal organization where every office has to do it the mm. same way like there are guiding principles and there's threads but you know, the markets we work in, the challenges we work on, the clients we work with are very different from our American and European businesses. Mm. What about the projects, though? Do you, is there sharing across projects or does Sydney have its own projects, own clients? Yeah, no. I mean, honestly, it, it's, it's, no. <laughs> like, it's, I think, I think, I think, I think a lot of agencies, it's really interesting. And I think a lot of agencies like, really uh kind of proffer this and that you know 24 hour studio and london works with la and works with new york and i think i think in some businesses and some fields it may work i think production is a really good one for that kind of motion and film and stuff like that i think given that our the way we work is is really involved it's really relationship based you know all of our clients are our clients and our relationships and we do, you know, we pull in resource from other studios every now and again, you know, if it's a specific skill or kind of, you know, mm. we're stacked and we need a little bit of help on a, a sprint, but everyone's really busy. Yeah. Getting resource is really hard. <laughs> yeah. Getting time from other studios, you know, and they'd say the same of us, like everyone's busy on their own work. We have a lot of glo like global communication channels. We're all on a Slack together here in the studio and through the other studios and we had a really nice catch up with uh, Ben and Paul the other night where we kind of walked them through all of the work that we've done this year. So there's a real, there's a real connection. And in a pre COVID time, we probably would have been getting together for a Christmas party at some point. Mm. We talked a lot about kind of people, like the people that are working, working for you and kind of building them up to, mm. to be leaders potentially, right? Like that, that idea of a little bit more of a flat um, organizational structure. Mm. So I just kind of wanted to dig in a little bit more as to where you found these people because it was you. It's just you <laughs> three years ago. It was me. And how many people <laughs> do you have working approximately at the moment with you? Oof, uh, just a quick look. Sorry, who's still, who's still there at 7.30? The uh, who's still? Yeah, that's it. Who is it? Um, They're the ones that get uh, to keep their job. Probably one, one two, three. <laughs> we're about 11 at the moment. We, <laughs> yeah. We're about 11 at the moment. We've got some kind of new joiners over the next few months so we'll probably be about kind of 13 14 in the new year oh, wow so what's the what's the basic kind of makeup and 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 where did you find these people from from scratch to to where you are now a lot of design yep so there's about nine nine on the design team at the moment and when you say myself, design, 
What does that mean? Uh, good question. Um, so everyone's kind of a generalist brand designer. Yep. So there's uh, myself, there's a design director, three seniors, a couple of mids, a couple of juniors, uh, interns. I really believe in like a really well-structured um, internship program that does kind of transform into roles. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really... It's a really interesting mix. Like the first people to come in were Flo and Colette. So Flo is a senior designer and she she came to me through well, through friends actually. So right. uh Jane, my wife, uh used to work with her and my friend Sonia used to work with her, both at Re. And she for some wild reason packed in a, a stable and steady job and came and joined me in a small glass box in Piermont. And then two weeks later, Colette joined. Um, she, I met Colette through my mentorship at, at UTS, DNAD New Blood. I've been doing that for about five years now. And she was kind of part of the first year's cohort. And she's, she's kind of grown from, you know, fresh out of uni junior designer into an absolute gun midway. And kind of seeing that transformation and growth over the past three years has been mm. absolutely phenomenal. And then other people have come through, again, through like, I know about them around the way and, you know, I'm, I'm interested and I, I, I kind of want to work with them. Jared, who's originally from New Zealand, spent some time in London and he was moving here. So I sort of snapped him up pretty quickly. Uh, Katie came to us from the UK. She had never been to Australia as well. I sort of met her through a recruiter. She's a, a really fascinating blend of, of kind of a graphic designer, a branding designer, a motion designer. And I see a lot of my own kind of like really early years in her experience. Right. Like she used to, she worked at a, an agency called Supple, which is a brilliant design agency in, in Bath in the UK. And I worked at an agency called Studio Output very long time ago in Nottingham in the UK and it was a similar vibe it was like you know five of you and you all do everything mm. and you do the art yeah. you do the artworking and you do you know the retouching and you do the design work you do the motion and you do, you do everything and I think it's a really great when I meet people who've been through agencies like that I really enjoy the way they've been taught because I know they can kind of turn their hand to a lot of things that must have been quite a similar thing for you guys at sydney early on though because you would have all had to sort of dig in yeah yeah <laughs> yeah 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 i mean it, it is it isn't it yes yes and no i mean yes you do have to dig in you do have to do a bit of everything i think branding is really interesting in that versus what i would kind of term graphic design where you are maybe doing the image creation you're maybe doing the motion like branding is often it often affords you because the projects get a little bit bigger to kind of bring in specialists and sort of plug them into the role. Yeah, and I think, you yeah. know, definitely in the really early days when, you know, we needed art working help, we were able to pull on kind of London and, you know, I think yeah. their support in us whilst we were really kind of in those early stages helped ease some of those pain points as well. I don't know if you're getting at this Flynn, but you know, a lot of, businesses who open up in Australia have found it difficult to find the talent in Australia. Is that something you've found? Yes and no. I think, and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens after this year, actually. Oh, so yes. I think, I, I think there are 
exceptional graduate designers here. I think the programs that are run at places like UTS, RMIT, Massey over in NZ are turning out some really intelligent, empathetic, interesting, creative minds. I think what I can, what I've historically observed is they'll get into a place, they'll do a couple of years, they'll maybe sort of hit their mid twenties and they're like, Ooh, off to North America, off to Europe, off to the UK, yeah. poof, that sort of level of designer disappears. Mm, yeah. and I get it. You know, I came the other way, you know, I get it. If you're like 26, you've grown up in a place and you've got a, a talent and a, a, an ability that you can maybe use to take you somewhere else in the world. And I think what may happen then is, you know, people jump overseas and maybe don't come back for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. Mm -hmm. And mm. then they're coming back at like creative director and they're probably setting up their own agency. You know, and I think that's where you get a lot of the really interesting small independents here. Uh, kind of some of them are people who have returned, some of the people that have kind of done their time in agency have set up their own shop. Yeah. So that is a challenge. There are great people here, though. There are great people. I think what I find is people move around less. You know, it's and I think it's it's natural. It's a, a scale of market kind of thing. I think this year obviously has probably kept people who've you know who've been fortunate to kind of avoid any any kind of redundancies or cuts have kept them in their job. Mm -hmm. You know, no one really wants to move when you don't know what's going on. But my my kind of strategy to that has been get really heavily involved in growing interns, growing junior designers, leveling them up and plugging in kind of more senior people who may be here, maybe elsewhere to kind of teach them, diversify them. To keep them. Yeah. yeah and I think. Keep, keep, keep them growing within. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's also one thing I, I'm always like reflecting on is like, I don't want to hire the same people as everyone else, which sounds really like, Sounds really uh, <laughs> arrogant, but like, what's the point? What's the point if we're all just hiring the same people? You know, like mm -hmm. that doesn't change our agencies. It doesn't change the community. It doesn't like level up design more broadly in in the industry. So yeah, like my my focus has definitely been on involve myself in education, identify people who I find to be interesting, different, mesmerizing, bring them in, find a place for them, and and start to kind of grow them. Yeah, I really want to ask about the education thing. But mm. before we get there, because, you know, we've talked a little bit about leadership and, you know, I really love the idea that you're sort of growing within, from within. Mm. And we've danced a little bit around this year. <laughs> but <laughs> let's jump into that because it has been like a year like no other. And, you know, we're in Australia and we've actually been, you know, pretty well off compared to the rest of the yeah. world. What new leadership kind of things if you had to learn this year because uh, I guess I guess this question comes from there's a really interesting study done recently and you know they've actually proved that productivity is is actually been able to stay mm. as much if, if not a little bit more but the one big thing they found from this study was that managers felt like they'd lost control I don't know if I felt like I lost control it was yeah it, it was it was really interesting I remember we were sort of due to move out of Piermont and into our, our new studio now and then the next week we all went into straight into lockdown and I, I can remember yeah. at the time because we were like oh it'll be two weeks it'll be two weeks <laughs> and then you know three months later um still sat at the kitchen table um 
what has it taught me? I I always knew that I loved like a culture and community environment and being around people and using that to push creativity. I think being away from everyone was was honestly it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to deal with like in this in this role and it really like it really affected my mental health and it really affected my mood and I would catch myself and catch my tone and I'd be like oh my god you know this is who like who am I becoming this is like having such a negative impact on me and then that's kind of reverberating through into the team and so yeah it, it really it was really like a personal personal battle to, to kind of control that and, and not let it seep into the team because I you know, I do believe when you can be really honest and open and kind of frank and you know, it's silly almost like you can be yourself that you can push each other to do better work and all of a sudden this like construct goes up around you where I can't just go and sit with someone and be like, Hey, let's just chat about that thing. Like, yeah. Or, you know, sort of as I'm mooching around the studio, just be like, Oh, that's interesting. What's that? Let's like, let's like chat about it or just spin around. And it's, everything is like, Hey, let's jump on a zoom. And it's like, all of a sudden it constructs this like context around the conversation, which is like, okay, it's like a tennis match. I have to say something, then you say something, then you say something, Mm. then I say something. And (laughs) the formality that just seeps into it all is, is can be paralyzing. I think, we learn to sort of really push ourselves to, to kind of connect socially, whether it was like doing pub quizzes over zoom, like say, say like silly things like saying good morning on Slack or like, you know, good night on Slack and yeah. like the stuff that replicates that experience. I can remember when we, when we actually came back together and Katie, who's one of the seniors came in to pick up, pick something up from the studio and Mark and I were working in here and she came in and she's like, it's really weird seeing your legs. <laughs> it just been like six, you know, five, six months of like just sort of chest Nothing up. Nothing but torso. Um, yeah. yeah. And I can, I can understand that, that the outcome of that survey and that sort of feeling of helplessness, you, you kind of like, what, you know, what's my role? And like, how does it fit in? Because I mm. do think that in my role, it, it's so often, it's so like gaseous. It kind of like, built as in around other people and mm. you know supports them and pushes them and, and then it has to become about like just organizing my time to speak with everyone through the entire day and i i never get any time to do anything mm. yeah. so that's that's that was yeah that was interesting i mean coming back together has been lovely i was just thinking as you were talking about that about what we were talking mm. previously about setting people up for leadership and how difficult that would be normally in a physical space and how next to impossible that would be remotely. Because m- my personal experience has been mm-hmm. like, I'm very, f- I'm very efficient from home, happy to work from home. But other than like learning technical skills and getting a bit better at what I do always, there's no osmosis. Like I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. as you were talking about walking past and going, that's interesting. Like what's that? Whether it's a hobby or part of your job and not having those like excuses and those little happy accidents. I would think yeah. it would be quite difficult to solve that previous goal that you have for yourself, which is nice and flat and setting people up for leadership because it would be hard for them to learn from you. A part of it is, it is I think, identifying who needs what. You mm. know, some people can kind of run, run, yeah. run on their own and you can just let them do so. Others do need a bit of kind of prep and support and, you know, getting 
ideas, concepts, arguments formed up before it goes out in front of someone. I mean, what I would say on the whole flat thing is, if I'm honest, I, I find I find the whole concept of, of like flat structures slightly nonsensical. Right. Well, um, that's good because I've I've said it be, twice. So good. <laughs> so let's 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 pick this one to pieces. Let's pick it apart. Um, let's no, do it. Let's all be super honest. You know, I have more expectation on me, more responsibilities, and sure. are compensated effectively more so than a junior designer. Mm. It, I think yep. to put two people at kind of polar ends of experience, expectation, something as functional as like salary and say that they are equal is easy for me and hard for them. Yeah. And I think that's really, like, that's, that's really unfair. I think when businesses say, oh, you know, we're a flat structure, everyone can, you know, everyone can lead. And it's like, cool. Yeah. Everyone can lead, but in a junior designer leading versus a senior designer leading versus me leading the proportion of my support and attention to kind of build that equity is different. Yeah. And I, I don't think people talk about that enough. Mm. It's always like this sort of, you know, halcyon ideal of like, oh, you know, we're all equal. The intern can do as much as I can. It's mm. like, well, no, like I've got 12 years of experience and we shouldn't be expecting the same things from yeah. different people. We should be recognizing yeah. what everyone needs individually. Mm. You know, to your point of like, how do you, how do you set people up? It's, you got to know them and you got to know what they need. Mm. And like, you got to know them to set them up to lead and, to know them, you need to spend time with them. And if you're all on Zoom and you don't see most of the team for a yeah. certain period of time, how do you come to know someone and, and like sort of diagnose their, their gaps and, and what they need? You don't even see their legs. You don't even see their legs. You don't even know what trousers have gone. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting a little bit to that time. And I really want to talk about um, education because you've done a really great job and always giving your time to like UTS and Billy mm. Blue and Shillington and so on. I'm interested to know where that, uh, I guess that need for you because it feels like a need that you, you're quite happy to to give that but also I've heard you describe yourself as a very average student during your college days yeah and I'm really I'd, I'd like to kind of dig into that a little bit just about like why why did you say that and and how that kind of figures into to give context I, I feel like the the average students the the probably the ones that miss out the most because the the ones who are a bad get extra help and the ones who are good get the praise and it's the middle ones who get the you know the course they paid for but but not very much else mm. yeah i mean i think on how i would describe my time at university inebriated would be one of the um, <laughs> ways i'd describe it i think at the time i went to university i was quite frustrated with the outcome because i think i went into it with the perception of these are the hard skills that it should teach me, you know, software skills, mm -hmm. like these hard definable things that I can check off. And I think part of that is like over time and, and through personal growth is a, an understanding of what my personality is like and the way that I like to organize and, and sort of order the world around me. And that's a whole other battle of like stopping doing that. I, I worked really hard. I, was really lucky to be given opportunities and internships that pushed me in, in incremental steps in the direction that allowed me to arrive here. And I don't look back and think, oh, you know, I, I did this incredible piece of work or my, you know, my final piece was amazing and it kind of set me up for everything. I was afforded a lot of opportunity. Like my first internship, which was with an agency called Give Up Art, was 
a friend, Stu Hammersley, who who gave me like a month long internship and then gave me a, an extension on that. And that allowed me to go and work in London. I lived in the northeast of England and, you know, I didn't have a flat in London. I slept on friends' sofas, sort of slept in family friends' spare rooms and paid them a little bit of rent. And I think when I say I was an average student, what I'm trying to probably communicate is that I was given a lot of opportunity that I 100% recognize aided me in getting towards where I am now. My own personal interest in education comes from a number of places. I grew up in a family of teachers. My dad is a teacher. He spent his life working with children with severe disabilities and learning uh, disabilities and worked in special needs education and seeing the personal value that he drew out of something which was like really challenging really appeals to me. And I think there's something at a foundational level that says, if you can teach someone else and like share what you do with them at a really selfish level, it allows me to find super duper exciting, diverse, different creative minds who I would have struggled to find otherwise like, Mm. Colette right. and Haley and Faz and Haley have all come through UTS and through my presence there. And like a purely selfish level, it allows me to do that. At another selfish yeah. level, I love it. I love working with people to figure problems out. And I think it keeps me, it's like training. It kind of keeps you a little bit sharp because mm. you've got mm. a whole bunch of students who have never done what you're asking them to do and you have to explain your thinking and your processes and your kind of tools in really really simple understandable ways and that's one of the kind of core skills you need to work in design is to be able to take something very complex and make it understandable and palatable i love it that's great it's really really Mm. well put nice one one of the things that your name comes up a little bit because quite often one of the questions i love to give to students is what are you not learning at uni or you know, what, what do you feel like you didn't get taught at uni? And they quite often do it, you know, straight to Google and do a search and they often get your article, which is called five things I wasn't taught at uni. <laughs> so, but there is a really, there's a couple of amazing quotes on there. One, one of the ones I really love, which uh, always opens up a really good discussion is uh, being a good designer doesn't make you interesting. Being interesting can make you a good designer yeah yeah 100 percent. like i think about why i have brought people like Haley and colette into the team and it was because they showed me something that spoke about themselves and their interests and their worldview that i never would have expected to see and <laughs> life experience whether it's, you know, reading a million books and just sucking up info or traveling or putting yourself in different and uncomfortable spaces and places and broadening your personal horizons, ultimately gives you more fuel to draw upon in determining and crafting and creating a creative output. If we're all looking at the same thing and we're all referencing the same blogs and we all went to uni in the same way it and you might be excellent you might be a phenomenal typesetter and you can craft a logo within an inch of its life but if it hasn't got a bit of kind of like soul and 
patina and difference, then why are you any better than the next person? Mm. We're kind of hitting time. There's one question that came up mm. that I thought we should probably have a quick look at. From Jermaine, how would you describe Sydney's design industry right now? Oof. Contentious. Um, <laughs> hey, Jermaine, uh, we have actually met, so I, I do know who's asking this. Um, it's, what do I think? I don't want to limit it to Sydney. I think it feels a little bit like there's a potential change coming. And I find mm. that really exciting. Like if I look around, there's interesting people opening new shops. There's like Mucho and uh, Base have opened up in Melbourne. I think that's mm. really exciting. Future Deluxe, the motion experience agency have opened up here. So I think there's new ideas and new agencies coming, which is really cool. It's funny. I think, I think from a culture perspective, I think sadly it's a bit like disappointing and unconnected at times. I think mm. there's a, a lot yeah. of people doing really interesting work and, you know, there's various kind of bodies and organizations, but it can feel really disparate. And it can feel really disconnected and it makes me a bit sad. You know, I think there's a lot of people doing amazing work. Like I watched the kind of Agda and Best Awards last week. One of the overriding things I took away, especially from the Agda Awards, was like there's a whole bunch of agencies I'd never heard of doing amazing work. Mm. And mm. it's like, why don't we know about each other? Why don't we know each other? Why aren't we connecting? Why aren't we all like hanging out and having a, well, I suppose it'd be a COVID beer, um, but a beer somewhere. <laughs> I think there's work to be done. If I'm honest, I think there's work to be done. And I think yep. that's another reason I want to like get stuck into education is like building a culture around a studio that people want to be part of. You actually graduated in a financial crisis. And for many graduates, it's, it's a bit of a crisis at the moment, particularly sort of you know, finishing off their, their schooling, mm. I guess, with, without being able to have those big exhibitions or those, those big opportunities to kind of get out there. Have you got any advice that you could give graduates? Um, yeah. Do your best not to freak out. The world now, you know, at a local level, at a national level, at a global level, needs creative thinking more than ever. You know, I think, I think back to when I graduated in 2008 and the societal scope or the scope for design to, to kind of have a societal impact was... If it was there, it wasn't in my eye line. It didn't feel present. It didn't feel like a possibility. I think the growing connection between creative output, social impact is phenomenal. And I think knowing that you work in a industry and, and have learned a skill set, which is translatable along so many vectors, which impact really important things in our world. Like, yes, it is rubbish right now. It's really rubbish. Like, you know, we've all had a bloody crap year, but we need creative minds. We need creative minds. And whether that's, and I think, well, this is actually another thing that to go back to my, I, and I feel this might have been a point in my much lauded five things I wasn't taught about at uni uh, talk series. Um, working in design or working creatively doesn't mean working in a design agency. There's like, a squillion things you can do. You can go and work in traditional organizations and businesses and work as mm. strategists and futurologists and you can work independently. Like the creative skill set is one of the most adaptable and flexible that you can have. Yeah, what I'd say is please be patient. 
it's a long it's a long life and it's a long career i'm only 12 years into mine and there's a whole load yet to go mm-hmm. it will get better and the world needs you and the world needs your skills what a great way to end it's <laughs> nice love it <laughs> well done <laughs> how's really cool where can people find out more about the studio and about you so best place to find out about the studio is uh, design.studio, uh, which is our website, or come and say hello. We're in Surrey Hills, uh, 780 Albion Street. We're usually in here. It's always nice to meet new people. Um, me personally, you can get at me on Instagram, jamesgilmore.co, or LinkedIn. Quite active on there as well. Track me down. Flynn, where can people find out more about you? Oh, yeah, just at Flynn Tracy on pretty much anything, Instagram and Twitter. Don't come to my house. You can find me. (laughs) I'm just on Matt underscore Leach. And you can find this episode and more on Oz Design Radio and pretty much everything. So thank you so much for your time, James. No worries. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, James. Thanks for hanging out. Cheers.